It's with the help of the Holy Spirit who we've invited here that I want God's word to richly dwell in your hearts this morning. Would you listen while you're on your feet to Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That is the word of God. You may have a seat. I have a very scintillating and exciting promise for you today. I, Dave Long, Dale, your friend, Dave Long, I know the eternal secret to happiness. I know what it is, and because I like you, I'm going to share with you what that is today. It's not something you're going to hear everywhere or a lot of anywheres, but you're going to hear it from God over and over and loud and clear today. Humility is the secret to happiness. Humility is the secret to happiness. The dictionary defines humility kind of simply as a modest or low view of one's own importance. It's helpful. It's kind of accurate. But the scriptures define humility as Jesus. Can somebody get excited about Jesus in this room today? About Jesus, the one who gave up heaven to give himself over so that we could get everything. Our salvation being only the first and the most obvious gift of his humility. Let's walk through the passage together and see how not entertainment, how not self-centeredness, how not another person is the secret key to happiness, but how Christ-like humility is. So let's walk through the passage together. That's what we do here. We're not making anything up. We're digging into the scriptures. We're walking through it one verse at a time, trying to understand what God has to say to our church. Today's the starting line, and all throughout the week, you'll be thinking about Philippians chapter 2 on your own, in your groups, as you're praying, as you're reading. Let's start at the beginning again. So 
if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So before we get into the really, 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 really good stuff, here's some really good stuff. True happiness is found in Christ and in commitment to his people. Can I get an amen? I've done no work, but give me an amen anyways, because it's tired and foggy outside. You've possibly heard this at the nine o'clock. We got a lot of brainiacs, a lot of theologians at the nine o'clock. Don't look at them directly in the eyes. But you've maybe heard that when Paul pulls out this if in Philippians chapter two, that a better translation of if in this moment in the Bible would be since. It's kind of obvious in the context in English, if there's these things, and you know what, there is, because we know there's consolation of love, and there's fellowship of the Spirit, and there's all these things. But in the original Greek, it's even more like obvious that the Greek here is if, since there's encouragement in Christ, since there's comfort from love, since there's participation in the Spirit, since there's fellowship and sympathy, Paul says, because these things, precisely because these things exist, Paul, writing from his prison cell, says, make my joy complete. I got a lot of joy, but there's still something lacking. I need you guys to understand all the blessings that come from God and then change everything about how you live, and then and only then, my joy will be complete. It's not if there are these things, but since there are. Look at what connectedness to God's family brings. A lot of times at Southside, we'll say, don't come to church for what you're going to get. Come for what you're going to give. But do come to God in a lot of ways for what you're going to get. And do come to God's family for what you're going to get. We get things like encouragement, comfort, love, supernatural teamwork, affection, even sympathy. Where are you going to get genuine sympathy other than from God and God's people? Wow. Look at what Paul says, and as he lines up for us, true happiness is found in Christ and in his people. Let's keep walking through the passage. We're getting towards the meat of what we want to talk about today. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. I love the NAS Bible that says vain conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I'm here to tell you something that God's been working on me since day one of my faith, and it works, and it's beautiful, and when churches do this together, it is supernatural, and nobody can stop us. True happiness is found when we all adopt a sacrificial sensibility. When it becomes a matter of our breathing and our living in Christ to be thinking, how can I put my needs aside so that someone else can be reached? How can I let go of my selfish wants so that someone else can be blessed? How can I transform from serving people but having to tell them how lucky they were that I served them to serving people and doing it with Jesus Christ in my sights? How can my prayers transform? How can my life transform? How can my loves transform? True happiness is found in a sacrificial sensibility. Now, there's something awesome here that came up, came, I think, first out of Brenda Benedict when we were talking about the scriptures, and then we all started to notice this this week. It's okay, according to God, to look out for your own interests. 
for, to look, it's okay to look out for your own interests, but very quickly and simultaneously and sometimes before your own, God says, but there's this new gospel thing where we don't look out merely for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. So somebody say also today, please. And I do want you to catch this because sometimes we think that Christianity is just how downtrodden and miserable can I be? And you're going to walk away from a, a sermon like today and go, well, I feel like he told me to just be a doormat and I know that that doesn't work and I'm not going to do that. Some of you are like, I've tried that for 10 or 20 or 80 years and it doesn't work and I don't want to do that anymore. And we can excuse it. And so I do want you to see that God says, no, you can look for your own interests, but don't merely look out for your own interests. Can you just close your eyes and sing Kumbaya and imagine a world where we didn't merely look out for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. It's a new gospel requirement. Jesus is dropping these gospel dimes all the time. There's a story of the Good Samaritan, somebody that gets out of their own self and helps someone. There's a story of the woman at the well where Jesus goes somewhere that a man of that day would not have gone and says things that it would not have been said to get out of selfish interest. There's the story of Zacchaeus. No one notices the wee little man, and Jesus says, come on down, and let's have dinner at your house tonight. There's the harassed and helpless when Jesus looks out in Matthew 9, and everyone else just sees a crowd doing worshipy stuff, but Jesus felt compassion. You remember that scripture? Jesus felt compassion. He felt in his guts a pain and an agony for the people, in our case, of Spokane, because he wouldn't go and look, oh, look, they've got the money. They've got the season tickets. They've got the cool house. They've got the sweet ride. He'd say, nope, they're harassed and helpless. They're distressed and downcast. They're whitewashing how they really feel, but inside they're hurting. Inside, there might be a hopelessness that's never gonna see the light of day. And so Jesus brings this new gospel, this new gospel requirement and sensibility of looking not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Southsiders, we're called to be callers, we don't find holy huddles and then say, I've found my little group. We're always calling others from outside the church and even inside the church into fellowship and into our groups. We are tasked to be texters for the glory of God. How many of you weekly send at least one or two texts where you tell someone, man, I love you, or you're doing good in the Lord, or how can I pray for you? Imagine, again, close your eyes and sing What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong and picture what would happen if we were texting instead of you up and who dis, new phone, we were texting each other, how are you doing in the Lord? How can I pray for you this week? I'm sorry I can't get to you physically this week, but how can I be a blessing to you? We are invigorated as believers when we are inviters into the life and fellowship of the church and into personal relationship, and we are satisfied when we are servants. Now, you're good people, so it's hard to kind of bring the heat and the thunder at you today, but I'll tell you the truth. You're good people. You're people. And so much of what you and I are viewing at church is through the lens of am I getting what I want? Much of what we view through our relationships in our home is am I being respected or treated the way that I deserve? Much of what we view at work or on our campus or at, our work, you know, at, at, at a job site or anything where we may be is what am I getting out of this? Am I getting what I am due? 
And Jesus says, you are so much more blessed and so much more happy. Yes, care for your own needs, but not only, your, not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And we become satisfied. We become sated. We become so happy when we are servants. Somebody say servants today. There's a guy that used to bug me because he was a servant, but the way he would serve was always like he would not ever let, he would never go through a door before anyone else. Like he would be, he was this dude that worked at a church and he would always open the door for people and there'd be like these standoffs, you know, of like, no, you, no, you. And it was like Chip and Dale, not the dancers, but the squirrels, the chipmunks, you know, no, after you, after you, after you, after you. And that's a cool picture of it. But imagine if in a more spiritual, emotional, relational realm, we began to say, no, after you. Imagine when songs are playing that we wish were called, this song will be over in 2.33 minutes. If we were instead thinking, man, I look around, look how blessed that person's getting over there. What if you're the dour person that's like, oh, Dave, I wish you would stop being funny. Can you stop Niagara Falls, ladies and gentlemen? No. (laughs) And instead of having that attitude, you go, I'm so blessed that that person who's having a rough week or that person who's not comfortable with church gets that ice broken or on a converse thing when it's too serious and you just want to be entertained to look across the room and say, oh, I'm so blessed that that person is having their mind enriched by the word of God right now. And we become not, I don't like it, I do like it. But what do we need? I was channeling the spirit of Gomer Pyle in my voice there for a moment. Finally, after 45 years of prayer, puberty hits. Congratulations to me. Verse 5. Niagara Falls, ladies and gentlemen. Niagara Falls. Have this mind among yourselves. How do I do this? How could I possibly not just look out for my interests, but also for the interests of others? Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. I know, like, maybe don't stop in the middle of the scripture, but wow. Do you hear what's being given to you? Not try really hard to be spiritual, not follow this little secret spiritual way that some people know and some people don't. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though, like really go there, go there, hang on, grab on with both hands, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God the Father a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. This is Jesus we're talking about. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. True happiness. We're not talking about the flitting, fleeting happiness of my team won, or in my case, my team's not playing today, so it's going to be less depressing. No, it's this rich Philippians, joy, 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 rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. True soul happiness is found in imitating Christ's sacrificial service. 
there's too much, there's too much, there's too much, there's too much. So I want to just put a spotlight on the spiritual truths that are in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And I want to hear some amens because I just don't know what else we would say after some of these. We are given the mind of Christ. Don't undersell that in your life, that when you hit a conundrum or a trial or a conflict, you don't have to Google it. You don't have to wonder what might be the best way forward all the time. Sometimes you're able to just access, I was given the mind of Christ. And you can be a mini mind or a mega mind depending on how much of God's word you want to put in your mind. My goodness, we are given the mind of Christ. Paul just throws it in there. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, plural, in Christ Jesus. Okay, now we also don't want to get torn apart or start a cult because we don't understand this scripture. And so I want to spotlight the form of God. And I was careful to not even put a word after exact because somebody who's not listening might be like, he said exact verisimilitude. That's wrong. Jesus is God. He's not just a carbon copy if you're old. He's not just a, a, a Xerox copy if you're middle-aged. He's not just a, you know, like some human thing that we try to explain and explicate what Jesus is. He is God. When it says, though he was in the form of God, I don't know if there's any 40 or 50-year-olds in the room, it's not wonder twins unite in the form of an ice cube. He is God. He has everything that God has. Colossians says, the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form in Jesus. And even though he's got that, we hear he empties he goes to the cross. So just spotlighting the truths here. We're given the mind of Christ. The form of God means the exact, whatever word you want to put there, representation. Uh, if we were going to use words like clone, and these are the things that start cults and get people in trouble, so let's not use any of them. He is God. Now, you've possibly heard this $2 phrase. This is one of many places in the Bible where we learn the theology term, the hypostatic union, that somehow Jesus is not half man and half God. He's not fully God who stops being God so he can live as a man only. He's fully God and fully man. We learn some deep and rich theology in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, 5 through 11, which some people think is one of the early hymns of the church. I really just think it is Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit writing beauty into our Bibles. But people can make a case for whether it was something that preceded Paul or not, but it's beautiful and it richly tells the gospel. Fully God, fully man. I'm gonna get into that in a little bit. And then another, uh, another theological term. It's important to know what these are. You don't have to know the word or you know, take a Scantron test on it later, but the kenosis is talked about in here, the emptying of Jesus. And it's important that we understand Jesus did not abandon his deity or his godness when he came to earth. And I think we need to be like wholesome enough to realize we can't really understand this or articulate this perfectly to each other or to somebody that is taking offense at it. We can very easily find in the Bible that it's taught 
and that it's emphasized and that it's the Bible writers want us to know this. It's not an obscure, oh, how can I prove it? Where can I find it? It's all over the Gospels. It's all over the pastoral letters. It's all over the book of Revelation who Jesus is, fully God, fully man. It's called the kenosis, the emptying. Thomas V. Morris in The Logic of God Incarnate writes, the danger comes when it is concluded that in the incarnation, you probably all know what that is, but that's just that big word for when God became a man through Jesus, the incarnation, that Jesus took on the human nature. The danger comes when we conclude that he took on a human nature and gave up or lost some of his divine attributes such that Jesus was no longer fully divine. The doctrine of the two natures of Christ, that's back to the hypostatic union, maintains that Jesus possessed a full undiminished human nature and a full undiminished divine nature which were not yet which were not combined or confused into some new nature but were added to each other forever and ever yet remaining distinct in the one person Jesus Christ it's actually important that we know this kind of stuff And one of your easiest, like, cult radars is just when somebody comes to your door, when somebody's trying to sell you something, when somebody's trying to say, no, it's really over here, just who's Jesus? Who's Jesus? Who is Jesus in your religion, in your belief system you've constructed for yourself or adhere to outside of yourself? Who is Jesus? And if they say he's fully God, he's fully man, if they say he's a member of the Trinity, if they say that he is co-equal with the Father God, with the Holy Spirit, that they reign forever and ever, some of these, I mean, on page one, you can start to see where other faiths are wrong or crooked or have an agenda of minimalizing who Jesus is. That's not really what the sermon's about, but that's for free, no charge today. The question, he goes on, regarding the kenosis or the emptying comes to this. What does it mean when Scripture says Christ emptied himself? Does it mean he ceased to be God during his earthly ministry? Certainly not, or he would never have been God to begin with. Simply put, Jesus fully embraced his humble role to become as or like a man. Read John 1 for one of the most simple renderings of it to live as a man, and to die as men do, all the while fully God. And I got to tell you, this is one of those where I just say, have faith. Not have blind faith or dumb faith or just have faith because it's too, it's too. Would someone like to come up and explain it with diagrams and felt and a dry erase board like how this is, how this works, and yet we have the clear articulation of it in the word of God. Praise God. So here we are. It is the most incredible display. I I can't even think of a word, display. It is the most incredible display of humility that has ever occurred. We can't even fathom the display of of humility that happened in this moment. I have been at this church so long now that I have some greatest hits with my sermon illustrations where I will go, have I sent enough people out of the doors of our church that this will be a new story? I don't know. But one of my favorite things was when Maya was two years old and it was bedtime. And we very gently and lovingly said, 
it's time for night night like we did every night. That meant some stories, some reading, some snuggling, and then go to bed. It's time for night night. It's time for night night. Worked most nights. We were having a fun night. We had some friends over. They had some kids with them. We went in and we said, it's time for night night. And she says, her head spins around, pea soup comes out. And she goes, no, you go night night. <laughs> and you know those moments as a parent when you laugh, but you're not supposed to because they did something wrong. In that moment, I'm like, this is hilarious. I'm clearly the boss here. I'm clearly in charge. I say when night night beeth. But she has the unmitigated audacity to tell me, her father, no, you go night night. And in a cosmic way, the power of God in the person of Jesus Christ had to endure in real time, so many no-you-go-night-nights. And then for the rest of eternity, us shaking our fists at him and what he's decided and what he's planned and what he says is right. And we see in the emptying on his earthly time that he was able to put aside those things and live as a man, die as a man, become as a man. Humility is modeled by Jesus. We're heading to his glorification and his ultimate rejoicing. But humility is the secret to happiness, and it's the way to true holiness. Again, we're still in the spotlight of that beautiful Christ hymn, Obedience Involves Death. We learn that Jesus was obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. Mark 10, 45. This was never supposed to be a surprise. Jesus said, for even the Son of Man, that's the name in his humility that he liked to call himself. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then in all three of the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after him, after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. God is calling in this most beautiful of humbly happy scriptures. God is calling you and I to follow Jesus into death. Putting to death the old man or woman of sin and selfishness and pride and rising again made new in Christ. Back to the main passage now as we finish up the last several verses. Verse 9. What did Jesus get for this radical death obedience, this cross obedience, this kenosis emptying of himself? Therefore, because of it, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I've heard it taught so well in the past that the name that gets bowed at and tongues confessed and calling the Lord, the name is not Jesus or Yeshua. The name is Lord. The name of Jesus is Lord Jesus and for his emptying, for his sacrifice, for his obedience, for his propitiation for our sins comes this ultimate 
reward of exaltation. And true happiness is when that humility is rewarded. We all want greatness, love, adoration, acknowledgement, thanks. And what we see in this passage is the exaltation of the most drastically humbled creature in all of human history and understanding, the exaltation of Christ. He is different than all other spiritual religious figures before. And then, you know, he then begins to be copied, his story, in some religions that follow and in every DC or Marvel movie that followed and a few episodes of Sanford and Son, we all want the greatness and the exaltation, but Jesus is different in that he shows the path to heaven, the path to glorification. In his and only his case, the path to lordship goes by the avenue of humiliation and humbling and death and sacrifice. The highest of highs is reached through the lowest of lows. Humility is the secret to happiness and the way to holiness. I feel like this is way up here, and I want to give some things that are a little more down here, but they're still up here. Some application. Prioritize God's people. This is coming from the first two verses, if there's this and if there's that. And I want to give a challenge this week. If you don't do this, this is a regular part of my life, of course, as a pastor, and of any of you who shepherd and lead and care about other Christians, but if it's not a regular part, I want to give you like the coffee, lunch, run challenge this week. Text someone, can I take you to coffee? Can I buy you lunch? Try, can you buy me lunch? If you're like, I don't do those things, I am fit, and I do, then run or something like that. And invite someone in so that you may experience that comfort of love and that fellowship in the spirit. Here's, a, here's an application for our church. Compete at humility. We already compete to be the loudest or to be heard or to get our way in so many parts of our life. Can you imagine anything better than people competing at trying to outdo one another in love and service and sacrifice? No, don't you help that person move who's clearly not ready to move. Let me do that. What? Let me meet that need. Let me walk into that hospital room. Let me not put my own selfish things in front of what God might be calling us to do. And say, no, 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 let me. Wife, let me forgive you. No, husband, may it be my privilege to forgive you. That one's funny, huh? <laughs> yes. I know a good counselor. Learn to empty yourself. I mean, if Jesus could at that level, what of us? I gave you some scriptures at the bottom of your notes. Do a deep dive. I gave you like a, you're not going to get the bends if you do the verses I did. Do a deep dive on Christ's sacrifice. Sometimes just to get a fresh view of who I am and what I'm really about and why I'm complaining all the time, it's helpful to look at who Jesus was, what he did, the example that he set. And then I go, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for doing that for me. 
Some of you today, I hope, at all three services need to hear this. Repent of sin and turn to Jesus Christ. God loves you so much. I think at the 9 o'clock, I just want to say maybe some of you are content with religion or churchy goodness. But have you ever truly said, God, I'm a sinner. I have sinned. I have picked up the dirt and filth of lust and drunkenness and hate and foul language and pride. My relationships have not been the way that I want them to be. They've not gone according to your holy word. I've sought my pleasure. I've walked over others. I've lived harsh or hateful. Or hear this, 9 o'clock, I've simply lived with a lack of passion for my God. And I see today that that's something I should repent of and change in my life. And just turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I give my life to you today. This kind of humility is the gateway and the secret to eternal happiness and the way to holiness. St. Augustine wrote this about this emptying of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. Try to hang in there with me because the words are important. He said, Jesus, the word of the Father by whom all time was created, was made flesh and was born in time for us. He without whose divine permission no day completes its course wished to have one day for his human birth. In the bosom of his father, he existed before all the cycles of ages. He was then born of an earthly mother on that day. The maker of man became man. The ruler of the stars became utterly dependent upon his earthly parents. That he, the bread of life, might on some days go hungry. That he, the fountain of of living water may have days where he thirst, that he, the light, might need to sleep, and that he, the way, might be wearied by the journey, that he, the truth, might be lied about, that he, the judge of the living and the dead, might be brought to trial by a mortal judge, that he, the very embodiment of justice might be condemned by those who are unjust, that he who is disciplined might be punished with words and whips, that he, the firm foundation of our faith, might instead be suspended in midair upon a cross. He who is our courage might be weakened by assault, that our eternal security might be in time be wounded." that he who is the life might instead die. To endure these and similar indignities for us, to free us unworthy creatures, he who existed as the son of God before all ages without a beginning, deigned to become the son of man in these more recent years. He did this, although he who submitted to such great evils for our sake had done no evil himself. And although we, who were the recipients of so much good at his hands, had done nothing to merit these benefits, he is God, and he is happy to be humble for you and for me that we might be saved. Humility is the secret to happiness and the way to holiness and the invitation to heaven.
and for churches, harmony. Would you pray with me? just want to invite you in these few moments to ready your heart for worship and the adoration of our Lord. If you have questions about knowing Jesus, please get them answered today. Please grab a Jesus card. Please talk to someone about how can I have that passion and that knowledge of God in my life. Don't leave until they tell you how. If you are hurting, heap it on the cross. If you are hopeless, lean on the hope of Jesus Christ. But just take these moments on your own as we wait to worship and connect and commune with your God. I give you this time to get right with him, to get close to him, to get real with him in prayer. And then Andy, in a moment, will bring us back into his presence through singing and worshiping.